Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> Last week, the dynamic um, life-changing, once-in-a-lifetime masterpiece of a sermon that I was um, going to bring, I never got to. I, we, got to the, we got through the introduction. Um, I feel like um, I need to finish that today. So <clears throat> I'm not going to ask you to turn to a specific scripture. I have three that I will just give to you um, in a moment. <clears throat> but the subject that we looked at last week is the witness of the Spirit. That comes from Romans 8. And in that specific case, the Spirit of God is witnessing with our spirit that we are born again we have been made children of God our sins have been forgiven our names written in heaven we are no longer in a state of rebellion against God nor is he offended with us and that no so religion which is so utterly necessary God sees fit to directly speak to our spirit and by our spirit I mean that the true inner person the person we see that's the house you live in the real person is this conscious being that I am living inside a human body and unlike all of the rest of God's creation we alone have the capacity and thus the responsibility to know God. No other creation can fellowship with God, no other creation but us were made in the image and the likeness of God. He made us to think like he thinks so he can communicate with us. And he is, has written down in a book his message to us as a race. All of that, plus more than we can mention, is to call a race that has alienated themselves, that's us, from our God, to call us back to settle the issue of rebellion between us and to once again restore the original relationship he intended to have with us. Now, to do that, in the mystery of the Trinity, the Father planned to offer his only Son as a, an atonement for sin. He died in place of us, who deserved to die because sin is the moral, it's a moral death penalty. The Father gave Jesus to die for me in my place. And then both the Father and the Son in Scripture, again, 
much of it a mystery, difficult to understand. But the Father and the Son send the Spirit into this world. He's always been in this world, but in a special way. After the ascension of Jesus back to heaven, after his resurrection, he sent the Holy Spirit, which he called the promise of the Father. The Father promised, I will give you my Spirit. He poured out the Spirit upon the church and the world on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, 40 days after Jesus ascended into heaven. The witness then of the Spirit is broader in our, needs to be broader in understanding than just telling us that we are saved. I'm not diminishing that at all. But there are really three scriptures that point to a broader work of the Spirit of God in communicating with us. One, first general scriptures in the 16th chapter of John, where he said, when he, Jesus is speaking, when he, the Holy Spirit, is sent into the world, he will convince the world, that's every human being. God talks to every human. There's seven, I guess, seven billion human beings in this world. He doesn't miss one. The Spirit, he said, will convince the whole world of three things. Sin, righteousness, judgment. Sin, he said, because they do not believe on me. That doesn't mean this, the, the mental ascent. Yeah, I believe there's somebody called Jesus and he walked the earth and all that. He means they don't believe in the sense of full and complete allegiance, confession of faith in him, and obedience to his will. It's living a life as a Christ follower. He convinces the world of sin, of righteousness. He said, Jesus said, because I return to my Father. The bodily example of God and the pattern for us to follow while Jesus was on earth could be seen. But Jesus came for a short time, returned to his father. And what keeps alive the pattern and the memory of God who walked on this earth to show us that in a wicked world we could still walk righteously He's gone. That seeable pattern is gone. But he's not gone. Because Jesus commissioned the Holy Spirit to bring to our remembrance what is written about him here. And so Jesus, we wear, I don't know if we're still doing it very much, but you know, the, the what would Jesus do bracelets. 
That's what the Holy Spirit's job is. He reflects Jesus upon our life and we see where the outlines of Jesus lie and whether or not our life falls within those lines or not at all. So he said he will also, in addition to convincing of unbelief, he will convince of righteousness because I'm leaving, but he will keep my pattern alive. Thirdly, he said he will convince the world of judgment because the prince of this world is condemned, is judged, meaning Satan. He will convince us that the great deceiver who deceives us to rebel against God and to turn aside unto our own way is lying. He convinces us he speaks to us that you're following a false path if you go against God. It will lead in ruin and utter and eternal destruction. So the Holy Spirit then witnesses, testifies is what the word means. He testifies to us about way more than we have been forgiven of our sins when we are converted. There's much more that he does. So the witness of the Spirit is a broad subject. Second, along with the witness of the Spirit, again, narrowly to our conversion and to our being a child of God and adopted into his family, the scripture says, is the witness of our own spirit. Our own spirit is not fundamental, the witness of the Spirit is. When God's Spirit conveys to me the certain knowledge that I have confessed, repented, trusted, turned to Him, He directly communicates to our innermost being that, as an old hymn said, the, tr the great transaction is done. My sins are blotted out. And here's what he tells us, really, in the initial business of being converted. He not only tells us we have indeed accepted him, but he tells us that he has indeed accepted us. So there is, there is a merging here of a child to their father and the father's communication of love and acceptance and care and likeness to that child. That witness, not only of the spirit, but our, of our own spirit is also the witness of our own spirit is broader than just confirming that we are Christians, that we're saved. Something's changed in our hearts. When God gives us his approval, his acceptance of our prayer of repentance and faith, our own spirit immediately joins with his spirit 
and assures ourselves something's happened. I'm different. And it's that noticeable, documentable difference in our hearts and lives. It's a radical break with our former life. That confirms what God has said to our own hearts. Indeed, I do know I'm born again. Now, let me backtrack a little and look at the witness of the Spirit and of our spirit prior to getting right with God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everyone, everyone needs to find Jesus. The only way, the only way I'm going to make it to heaven with, and, and hear me here, without a conscious conversion experience is to be beneath, below the age of accountability. Be a child, an infant, or whatever age where moral accountability has not yet dawned upon us. That age will vary somewhat with every human being depending on the light that they have. A child raised generally in a church, in a Christian home, where the things of God are early introduced to them, will arrive at the age of accountability sooner than one that's never taught a thing except everything opposite. But whenever that age is with each individual person, from that point on, I am morally aware and therefore morally accountable. So everyone, everyone has a pre-conversion period of their life. Unfortunately, in fact, we have the words of Jesus that most people never come to the place where they settle things with God. I hate to say it, but Jesus said it. So I'm shoot arrows at him. He said, many enter on the road that goes to destruction and few there be that find the pathway that is narrow and leads to life. So there is a witness of the Spirit, first of all, that is convicting. The witness of the Spirit that is convicting. We label it our conscience, and that's not a bad label, but it's the direct monitoring by God of our relationship with Him, our state with Him. The word state means what is the condition of our hearts right now? Am I walking with God, loving God, obeying God, the whispers of the Holy Spirit to my heart that guide us through every day and even moment by moment? I'm following those. I fellowship with God in my heart. Or am I going against my conscience? Am I revolting against the law of God, which is really written on our hearts. My conscience bothers me. 
That's the witness of the Holy Spirit convicting me. And here's essentially what he's saying. A couple things. You're displeasing to me. I am not happy. Jesus said, the wrath of God rests upon, abides upon everyone who disobeys, who doesn't believe. Now, in the mercy, it may not feel like it, but in the absolute total ocean of God's mercy and love comes from that comes the fact that he is very faithful to tell us that he's not happy with us. The only reason he tells us that is to get me out of that, to transfer me into a state of fellowship and likeness and love with God. So God's witness to our spirit is initially convicting, confronting. Now what is our spirit doing during all that time? It depends again. Most of us have spent a good portion of our lives with our spirit fighting against that convicting witness of God's spirit. God testifies to me, you're wrong, you know it, you're disobedient to me, you did this, you did that. And the problem with God is <clears throat> we think now that we're, you know, we're real worried about social media and all the, all the information they can collect. You talk about collecting information. There's 7 billion people in What's the scripture says? There's not a word in your mouth that I don't know it before you say it. That's information gathering. What does God do with that? He constantly, constantly, relentlessly tells us whether he is pleased or not pleased with us. He's faithful. He never lets up. What's our spirit doing then in the meantime? Until we come to the place where we crash. We go down on our knees after relentless conviction from God. And we get weary of it. And we turn to God. Until we get there, our own spirit is spent rationalizing, resisting, denying what God's Spirit is telling us through our conscience. And we become, the sad thing is, we can, it takes a long time, but the Bible is very, very, very clear. Don't make a habit of denying, rationalizing, pushing aside, procrastinating what that voice is telling us. Because we can harden our hearts to the point that that voice is hardly heard anymore. The Bible talks about a seared conscience. And it likens it to <clears throat> fingertips that have been burned and no longer have any sensation. I can do that to my conscience to that witness of the Spirit 
that still small voice that speaks to me, I can ultimately dim it to the point that my heart hardly bothers me anymore. We marvel at people who we say they have no remorse for the most awful things in the world that they do. And we, decent people, even non-believers, we look at it and think, what in the world? Somehow that's a seared conscience, a conscience that has been so rejected by my spirit that I don't hear it anymore. Don't do that. This convicting spirit of God then is designed to lead us <clears throat> to repentance. And repentance and confession of our sins and a repentance means to not only have a God-caused sorrow for my sins and to a degree a sorrow for what my sins have done to God's heart, not merely a sorrow for what my sins have done to me and the upheaval of my life. Yes, those things too are a price of disobeying God and they help drive us to God, but ultimately, sin, confession of sin is, dear God, I've grieved your heart. And you love me enough to die for me. You've dogged my steps all these years and talked to me and been faithful to me and never let up on me. And I've used your name as a curse word. God have mercy on me. All of God's convicting witness is meant to br finally bring us to the point where I want you to notice then the witness, the testimony of our spirit shifts. And we, for the first time maybe, agree with God. Yeah, Lord, you're right. I agree with you. Do you know what the word confess means? John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Do you know what the word confess means? Literally, to say again. It's very close to the same word in Romans 8. His spirit bears witness with our spirit. It means to say alongside of. So, in other words, we come to the point where we say to God in our spirit the same thing that his spirit has been telling me for years. You're right. You're right. The witness of the spirit then becomes a, a confirming witness. It confirms when I pray and ask him to forgive me that my sins have been forgiven and indeed Jesus told the disciples <clears throat> after they returned from their first evangelistic travels, he gave them power to heal sickness, rebuke devils, sent them out. When they came back, they were still shallow Christians. And so what were they talking about? What were they just spilling out to Jesus in their report of their evangelistic endeavors? They were saying, oh man, Peter, 
Somebody died, we raised them from the dead. Somebody else had this disease, <clears throat> we raised, we healed them, touched them. So-and-so was demon-possessed. We cast out the... Jesus cut it off. And he said, don't. Don't make that the basis of your rejoicing. Well, that's pretty big stuff. He said, don't make that the basis. Rather, he said, this is in Luke, rather you rejoice because you know. K-N-O-W. You know your name is written in heaven. So God's witness then is confirming, and our own spirits confirm that, to conversion. Further, maybe just as plain as I can, this is not the first time you've heard this, but frankly it grieves me that it seems like it's very little mentioned what I'm going to mention anymore, hardly anywhere, and it seems like nobody pays any attention to it. But there's something everywhere in the Bible. And that is, it's everywhere. And that is that after becoming a child of God, my practice of sinning ceases. I walk with God. There is a further, absolutely indispensable work after being born of the Spirit, and that is being baptized with the Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Or people say, that people will say, I don't believe in entire sanctification. Well, you better check it out with Paul and the Holy Spirit who talked to Paul, because Paul prayed for the Thessalonians. I pray, he said, to the God of peace, that himself would entirely sanctify you. What's that all about? This is something else. I think, I hope I've made it clear. We have two problems. We're born into the world with an inclination to sin. We come into this world with a heart that is fallen and that is bent towards our will and against God's will. That is what prompts us to a career, a lifetime, a practice of sinning in the first place. And that's why it's universal. If it weren't for that inbred, inborn inclination, there's got to be somebody somewhere that comes into this world and we bring them home in their little blanket pink or blue, or whatever they I want to identify as. And then they just never are bad. They never lie. They never get mad. They never, even as infants, they don't fight over toys. And they're just perfect. There's not one that does that. It proves in a number of ways, but it proves through experience the universality of this inclination in here, this bent to sinning. When I'm converted, when I become a child of God, when I repent of my sinning, God takes care of all of the acts of sinning that I committed. I repent of them. He forgives me. 
He comes into my heart. But he has not removed that inward bent. The whole New Testament, so also the Old, is filled with references to a heart that's divided. Psalm 86, David says, Unite my heart so that I can fear your name with all my heart. What does he mean, unite my heart? There's, it's a divided heart. James calls it being double-souled. And he says to the double-souled, the, the double-souled person is unstable in all their ways. Even as a Christian, we waffle. We're drawn back and forth. Or James, other writers too, use the wind and the waves that we're blown back and forth. We have an unstable walk. If you want to find some examples of that, read the incredible instability of the people of Israel. They had a conversion experience. They got out of Egypt. That's something you don't forget. Crossed the Red Sea, all that. Got out in the wilderness, and after they were saved from slavery, they sang and danced on the far shore of the Red Sea. Thanked God. They said, there's no God like this. Glorious in holiness, wonderful in deliverance. We're walking with God. How thankful we are. Five, six, seven years later, they began to kind of waffle. No. Three days. Three days. Three days ago, they said they saw the Egyptian soldiers that the sea closed on lying drowned on the shore. Three days they had this big singspiration where... They sang, there's no God like this God. Three days later, water ran short. And they discovered, whether they knew it or not, but we know as we read it, they discovered something down here that basically is this way. As long as God performs what we want him to perform, he's a wonderful guy. We give him the thumbs up. But the minute he doesn't, what'd they say? Let's go back to Egypt. What? <laughs> they had been crying to God for generations. Please get us out of this mess. And the minute anything went wrong, we're going back. That's double-mindedness. We... haven't gotten rid of the deep inbred one definition of this inbred sin. The Bible just calls it a carnal mind, a focus on the things of this earth and the values of this world. But a good description of it or definition is excessive love of self. And so my agenda ends up 
butting heads with God's agenda. And whenever God's agenda looms and I see it doesn't look like he's going to grant me my desires, he's not going to He's not going to be, and here's where it's really at, he's not going to become my step-and-fetch-it boy who does what I want him to do. And that's really the disciples. If you want another example, read the disciples. Read the people of Israel for examples of people who still love themselves and their agenda, even though they love Christ, it's two loves, but it's double-minded. And you can't indefinitely live like that. That's why Jesus told the disciples, he told them all about the need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And just as he told them, you stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you go out and be witnesses throughout the world for me. We need the same thing. We must have that double-mindedness cleansed. We have to. Or we end up amounting to nothing for God. Jesus knew that. That's why he told those disciples who just a couple of days earlier <laughs> were bickering among themselves, thinking Jesus wouldn't known about it, bickering among themselves as, who, can you believe this? Who's the greatest? We're more sophisticated nowadays. I don't know how many of you gather in the hallways or maybe sit in the board, the conference room where we have the board meeting and people on the board turn and say to the other, you know, I'm the greatest in the room. Who does that? <laughs> Carnal Christians. Maybe they're not savvy enough to keep it inside. But Peter and James and John, they were dumb enough to say it out in the open. I'm the greatest. No, I am. Because I do this and that and so forth. And you got the poor nine guys that didn't get to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration, just James and John and Peter. And they could strut around, hook their thumbs in their bib overalls. Well, we got to go to the top of Transfiguration. You didn't. Could Jesus send out into the world ultimately to face crucifixion, burning at the stake, or as John was rescued from, thrown into a boiling vat of oil with that kind of attitude? Of course not. That's why he said, don't you dare go anywhere until you get that cleansed out of your heart. Now, how do we know that it's a cleansing because in Acts 15, Peter defines very clearly that just as the Holy Spirit bears witness that we're forgiven and saved, he bears witness that our hearts have been purified in the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He used that phrase. Peter's reporting in Acts 15 about this big discussion was going on. What do we do with the new Gentile believers? They weren't raising Jews. They, they, they eat bacon. What do we do with them? Do we make them hold of those old Jewish rules? The decision, of course, was no. Those are done. But in the course of that discussion, Peter reminds them of how he was the first of the apostles sent to Gentiles 
to preach the gospel. And that was the household of Cornelius. He goes to Cornelius' home, and Cornelius was a devout man, prayed, gave, followed God, even though he was a Gentile. And Peter began to preach to them, and in the middle of his preaching, says, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Peter, interpreting that and reflecting on it as a part of this discussion about the Gentiles, are they second-class citizens? He said, they're not. And he said, here's my proof. He said, you know, to all the rest of the room, you know that God made choice to send me to speak to the Gentiles, first Jew to speak to the Gentiles. And he said, God, this is in Acts 8, that's the third scripture, maybe the second. He said, God put no difference. Acts 15, 8, 9. God put no difference between them, Gentiles, and us giving them the Holy Spirit just like he did to us on the day of Pentecost. And then he further interpreted what that did for them. He gave them the Holy Spirit just like he did to us and put no difference between them and us, purifying their hearts by faith, just like he did for us. And he said, God bore them witness. Just as the Holy Spirit bears witness to me that my sins are forgiven, I'm adopted into the family of God, I'm saved, he also equally, and so does my own spirit, witness to the work of sanctification in our hearts, cleansing us from that double-mindedness, purifying our hearts by faith. Quickly, the third aspect of the witness of the Spirit and of our own. It's not only a convicting witness, it is not only a confirming witness, God's done work in your heart, but it's a continuing witness. We can never rest and say, well, 30 years ago, I can go back now and, and it dates, you know, how ancient I am, but I can go back to January of 1970. Second week, can't remember what day. But I can go back to January 1970 in Eugene, Oregon, when I knelt on my side of my bed and poured my heart out to Jesus and asked him to forgive me for all the wickedness I'd been doing and to please come into my heart and make me, do, make me new. He did. I can remember it really well because I was there. I remember clearly some months ago when I was in Iowa at a Bible college, working alone late at night at a job that I had off campus where I leaned my broom up against the wall, went into an office, knelt down in the dark and prayed and told God I knew good and well I was experiencing the back and forth and the up and down of a double heart. Would he take that away from me? Purge my self-centeredness away from me? 
I had just been invited as a brand new Christian to go speak at a youth retreat. And I was, you know, yeah, I know. And so I started praying, asking God, please help me. And you know something? A, I think he did help me probably, or did 98% of it or more. But he also, he also, because he's a faithful witnesser, he also tapped me on the shoulder and brought to my attention. He says, what are you asking me to help you for? For me to look good or you? And I was, because he nailed me. Does that make any sense? That's what's got to be removed. Or God can't really use us. We're always in the way. And he just kindly reminded me, you're seeking me for the wrong reason. It's to blow you up, not honor me. That's got to come out. It can. And he witnesses when he does it. We know it. Then he continues. And that, that I, I got to quit. But what I want to try to make as clear as I can to you, God witnesses to us all the time. I mean, he talks to us daily. And he lets us know he's, we're pleasing or not. Hebrews 11, of the, that's the Hall of Fame saints. And of the Old Testament saints, it says, makes this statement. They had this witness in themselves that they pleased God. Now that is continual. It's daily, hourly, moment by moment. And if, if we get out of line, he tells us our job is to make it right with him and keep on moving. The witness of the Spirit then is never absent, never silent. He's always telling us something about us. Listen to it. Follow it. It'll lead us home to heaven. Let's bow our heads. I'm just going to have Dan pray in a moment, but with all my heart, I can commit you and these words to you and to the hands of the Holy Spirit to speak to us, whatever our need might be, wherever we line up, because God's very faithful to tell us as he monitors us moment by moment. All we need to do is go from here. If we need to pray, do it. If we need to get caught back up on some things we've been backing up on, do it. Whatever God says, I leave you with these words. The words of Mary, the mother of Jesus, at the wedding in Cana. She said to the servants, pointing to Jesus, Whatever he saith unto you, do it. Father in heaven, those last words ring in my head. Whatever he says to you, do it. 
I know I'm not the only one in this room, Lord, who tried for years to do that in my own strength. And then one day at the altar, through your conviction, I met with you. And over the years, I've learned, Lord, that I don't live out that scripture in my own strength. I live out that scripture by your grace. So if anyone is sitting in this room this morning, Lord, that is arguing with our pastor in their head and their heart and ultimately arguing with you that I've tried this, I've done this, and it's not worked, I'm no different. It's because they haven't come to that point of surrender yet, Lord. Whether it's a first-time conversion or whether it's being cleansed of their sinful nature, may they stop arguing with you, may they stop negotiating with you, and may they surrender to you. Surrendering to these words that we've learned from our pastor this morning, how your, how your Holy Spirit witnesses, witnesses to us each and every second of each and every day. So Father, help us to surrender deeper to you than we've ever done before. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that would know, we would know that we know that we know from the witness of your spirit and the witness of our own spirit toward you that we are okay with you or that if we're not, and that we would just come to you and allow you to do a work in our heart that you see that, you see that needs to be done. So I just lift that up to us, to, for, to you today on behalf of this congregation, Lord, that we would be a congregation that would live a life that would be pleasing to you by your grace and by your mercy and to your glory in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you guys. You are dismissed. Have a great day, everyone.